when people think about ESG or sustainability, they think, oh, we need to come up with measures. What gets measured gets done. And I think any measure of success could lead to hitting the target and missing the point. All right, welcome back, everybody. Richard Baker, founder of Collector Responsibility, here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassador Podcast. Today, I'm extremely excited to be joined by Alex Edmonds, who's a professor of finance at the London Business School, Global Future Council member of the World Economic Forum, and author of Grow the Pie, How Great Companies Deliver Both Purpose and Profit. Uh, welcome to the show, Alex. It's really an honor to have you here to speak about the work you've been doing over the last 15 years in academia, research that you've been doing around the business case for sustainability, responsibility, and now ESG. Great. Well, first, thanks, Rich, for inviting me. It's, it's really nice to be here and talk about these topics. So, so my background was actually not in academia. So I started at Morgan Stanley doing investment banking. After Morgan Stanley, I went to MIT to do my PhD. And there mm -hmm. I didn't intend to do sustainability or ESG or anything. We didn't even really have those terms back then. I mm -hmm. just wanted to look at what creates long-term value within companies. So I wrote a paper looking at the link between employee satisfaction and long-term stock returns, I showed that it was strong. I showed that it was more likely to be causation rather than just correlation. And then yeah. this got me into other factors that we call sustainability. So I don't see myself as really a sustainability professor. I just see myself as a business professor who mm. wants to make sure that companies create long-term value and that involves investing in your stakeholders. What catalyzed that question or what, what opened your eyes into that, that relationship? Because many people are trying to do it from a moral framework or an ethical framework. I never thought about this being ethical. It's just always understood that typically in order to be successful in the long term, you do ethical stuff without necessarily calling it ethical. So I wanted to see what drives long-term value creation in an enterprise. And as I mentioned mm. in my company, Morgan Stanley, it was clearly not physical capital. It was human capital. Yeah. And what's interesting with human capital is it's not just getting the best people in, hiring the right people. Obviously, that's part of it. But once the people are there, how to make sure that they're bringing their best selves to work. So yeah, yeah, you could call this ethical behavior, but I just call this just good business sense. And I think if you try to highlight ethics on this, you have a couple of problems. Number one, there might be people who say, oh, businesses are not here to be ethical. They're here to make money. Obviously you don't break the law, but within the confines of the law, you make money. And what is surprising to me is that a lot of the opposition from ESG is from Republicans in the US who should be supporters of business. And so if you instead was to frame ethics or ESG as being good for business, you get less opposition. Yeah. And number two, one of the problems with ethics is that different people will have different views as to what ethical behavior is. So this is why I've tried to be apolitical, focus on the business case. How do you engage on these topics if you're teaching business, you're teaching finance, but you're incorporating sustainability? Like, Where does it come in so that you don't even consider it sustainability more? Well, I, I don't think you should, Virg, because like when you look at any valuation, what is the numerator of a valuation? It's the expected cash flow. So right. what is expected cash flow? Well, that is the cash flow that you are likely to get taking risks into account. So if my cash flow has a 90% chance of being 10, but there's a 10% chance of being zero because there's a disaster, Faster, then my expected cash flow is nine. And okay, maybe historically mm. those risks might have been the risk that there's a product withdrawal. But nowadays it might be that there's a risk that there's a boycott of your products. Maybe there's a risk that you're in in a, in, a, in some kind of emission scandal like Volkswagen. But I think it's been very well known that risks, risk is an absolutely fundamental part of finance since probably the 1960s or earlier than that. Like risk finance is all about trying to look at uh, the valuation of, of risky cash flows. 
Now, I know mm. people love to say, oh, textbook is start, stuck in the dark ages. If you read any textbook, it's about maximising short-term profit. Well, I actually, I'm on panels debating this, and I say, name one textbook that does this. Oh, they yeah. say, oh, I can't name anything, but all the textbooks do this. But but right. no one who makes that allegation can think of a single textbook that makes that claim. Finance is about long-term value. So I, I really um, disagree with a lot of these sleep, uh, sweeping allegations that sustainability is in contradiction to uh, value creation, because it, it is not. <laughs> well, I guess the, the most widely used example of that would be Milton Freeman's quote about the responsibility of business to the shareholders, right? I've had a lot of debates about this, because what I find funny is in his paper, he says within the rules of the road and no one really talks about how those rules of the road may have changed or how we've illuminated you know some differences over the years but how do you see that you you are correct rich that many people quote milton friedman but they quote milton friedman without actually reading beyond the time yes the title seems provocative it says the social responsibility of business is to increase profits however if you read the article he highlights the importance of focusing on long-term profits and mm. he says that actually this does involve investing to help um, wider society. For example, he says, it may well be in the long run interest of a corporation that is a major employer in a small community to devote resources to providing amenities to that community or to improving its government. So he's not arguing that this is at the expense of, uh, of, of profit. This is actually supports profit. This is why I think sustainability has a strong business case. He also does recognise that there are some social issues that you might care about. So there, in the long term, there still could be externalities where even in the long term, your impact on society will not come back and, and, and um, affect you. But who does he say should address those externalities? It should be government. So let's take an issue such as climate change. So yeah. climate change is really important. I think it's the biggest problem facing the world. However, should it be that government should immediately ban coal and oil? Well, not necessarily, because many people depend on this industry for jobs. We also don't have enough non enough renewable energy sources to um, power the world. And for relatively less affluent people, you have um, high um, energy bills. And this has been something which has been quite crippling in, in the recent crisis. But yeah. the nice thing about government is that everybody has one vote and they vote for a government which reflects their preferences. And given that the government has not banned coal and oil, one might think that this still right now is best for society. Let's say BlackRock decides. So yeah. if you have just the elites, the one percenters deciding these social um, objectives, then that actually bypasses the political process. And so Friedman did not mm. say the social responsibility of society is to make as much money as possible. He didn't say GDP is the only measure of a company's a country's success. No, he yeah. argues that companies should focus on profits because we do have policymakers who are, right. are there to address these social objectives. Maybe part of this is that you have a Larry Fink who says, look, the governments aren't doing their job. And actually, I see long-term value by pushing their portfolios towards greener energy or towards DNI or towards whatever issue it might be. You know, he sees a failure that's actually an arbitrage. Is that fair? So yeah. let's not take energy, but let's take tobacco. There are many people who believe that actually we would want to live in a world with no tobacco. We we probably wouldn't say that with fossil fuels because we do need energy, but one might say we don't need tobacco to survive as a society. And yeah. the only reason that we still have tobacco is lobbying. So lobbying could mean that governments don't work. And therefore, it is absolutely fair for investors 
doctors to say, we are going to take this matter into our own hands because we don't think that the government reflects citizens' preferences. Mm. However, the starting point should be, as you correctly highlighted, Rich, is the government dealing with the issue well? So what do you see as the challenges that corporate leaders have in navigating that that Pandora's box? Because I'm remembering your TED speech where you talked about Marks and Spencer about how the founder actually said, I need to feed my people because they're hungry. And if you look at like the UK unemployment and livability index, it's pretty awful right now in terms of how many mortgages are at risk for default and the stress that's faced in society. Is that the case for an opportunity right there that you could say, look, this is where companies should come in. They should take care of their people. Yeah. So I think that what we should think about this uh, as a, a, a nuanced debate with both costs and benefits. So many of the things I've, I've said in, in the show might surprise some people who've seen my prior work because I'm all about really treating employees well. A lot of my work has been to highlight the business case for sustainability. However, what you need to realise is that when it, with any investment, there are diminishing returns. So right. yes, in Marks and Spencer's, they gave free breakfast, but they didn't give free breakfast and lunch and dinner and free housing. And yeah. so why I think this current debate on sustainability is, is good is it does open the eyes to some maybe um, executives who would not have thought about the issues about treating workers fairly. But why the sustainability debate is bad is they always suggest that more is always better. And I think this is mm. true from any of these other sustainability issues. When I choose how well to treat my employees, do I want to give them above the minimum, let's say, parental leave? I might think, well, maybe the government has said it wrong. And if the government has said it wrong, there is an opportunity, as you're saying, yeah. which for me to come in, go over uh, above, and then this will be a way of attracting employees. However, do I want to have the longest free parental leave in my industry? Well, maybe not. And so, yes, you're right that, Rich, that any executive has to navigate loads of things at Pandora's box. But you have to do that anyway, even if you never thought about sustainability. Which machine do I build? How high do I price something? And then I would use that same trade-off mentality to any sustainability decision because the sustainability decision is a business decision. It has benefits and it has costs and they need to be weighed against each other. And at this point, I want to bring in your other paper, the end of ESG. <laughs> um, and I love the first paragraph where it says, ESG is both something extremely important and nothing special. It's extremely important because it's critical to long-term value and so any academic or practitioner should take it seriously, not just those with ESG in the research interest or job title. And I'm curious, how do you see the value of ESG benefiting business? So what it highlights is in order to be successful as a business in the long term, you need to treat your employees well, you need to treat your customers well and other stakeholders, you need to protect the environment. And so I feel that uh, at least among the people that I deal with, which might be a selected sample because the people who are more friendly towards ESG are going to be the ones who interact more with me, is that yeah. those people do understand the importance of these long-term issues. And now we've got to an ESG by number approach where people are saying oh demonstrate your ESG through this metric and that metric and to me it's a bit like painting by numbers so when you're learning mm -hmm. to paint yes you paint by numbers you follow the numbers but 
after you've mastered paging, then the numbers constrain you. And similarly here, if everybody had to hit a diversity target of let's say 50% women, that might mean that there's other aspects of diversity that we don't take into account, such as socioeconomic or, or ethnic diversity and, and, and so forth. So then how much of the anti-ESG discussion has been earned by some of these gaps that you mentioned of the ESG framework, or I, I call it an industry? And what are some pivots that you think need to be made in, the, in this space to elevate the value? I think a number of the attacks that ESG has had are deserved. I don't think that the way in which the attacks were made were, were correct. I think they were made in an unprofessional way, often to make the attacker famous rather than try to add to the debate. But if we sort of try to control our emotions about the, the form and focus on the substance, some of these attacks are valid. And one of the things they've attacked is this claim that more ESG is always better. So they say ESG always pays off. Study after study shows that companies that do more ESG deliver higher long-term returns. But this is not the case. So, so some things work and some don't. So employee satisfaction, that does pay off. That was one of my papers. But embarrass embarrassingly, carbon emissions go in the other direction. So companies that emit more carbon deliver higher shareholder returns. And maybe this is because we don't yet have a fair carbon tax. So maybe in the future, this might change if there's a carbon tax, but right now there isn't. And so this is why companies are able to pollute, uh, get away with polluting, and they're not suffering declines in their return. I think number two is... There are some people who suggest that we, as investors, we can really change the world by defunding coal companies and investing in renewable energy. Therefore, the government does not need to act. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that is a legitimate pushback as well, is that investors should not usurp the role of government. They should yeah. certainly step in where we think the government has failed. But before we take action as an investor, we have to think, well, has the government dealt with this? Are there issues right now that investors categorically understand improve long-term returns? Yeah, so I think human capital is 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 a pretty much unequivocal. Treat employees well. You want to make sure that employees bring their best selves to work. You want to make sure that they contribute their ideas. Other things are, are less clear. So carbon is sadly not the case because carbon is an externality. So what are the areas that you are most excited about now? Like where's where's the edge of the envelope in this space for you? And what are you what are you doing to kind of understand that space? Yeah. So what I am trying to do is is to to lead to more grown-up and respectful conversations between uh, both sides. Um, I also want to make ESG more mainstream to get to the future that I envision in 50, 15 years' time, which is why I'm always trying to focus on the business case for this, trying to highlight that these sustainability issues are business issues. These are not just ESG issues. And I'm always trying to bring evidence and data behind this. How do you measure your success as a professor, as an academic, as a researcher? What is the timeline that you work with and how do you measure the success of your, your work? Thanks, Richard. I, I, I don't actually really measure it. And this is this is interesting because when people think about ESG or sustainability, you think, oh, we need to come up with measures. What mm -hmm. gets measured gets done. It's not really going to become real until we have measures of success. But I think um, any measure of success I can think of could lead to hitting the target and missing the point. So you might think for me, as a professor whose goal is not just to write for academic journals, but to have influence in the real world, why don't I measure the number of Twitter followers or LinkedIn followers? But there's an easy way to increase your followers. So, so more for me, I, I don't think I have tangible measures of success, but it is more qualitative is that 
is it that I see my ideas being adopted by businesses? So when, say, the Industrial Bank of Korea issues a press release and says, our new strategy is going to be the pie economics model, and pie economics was in my book, Grow the Pie, I think, well, that is actually really interesting that this company chooses to adopt this strategy, which was discussed in, in my book. Let's say you're talking to a, you know, a board level executive. You know, they haven't done much in the past, but now they're getting a lot of pressure. How should they start their process how should they attack it well i first think um this company the, the this executive or this board member should think about what are the most important ways to create long-term value for my company so what are the most material sustainability issues and so i think a focus on materiality is important is that many people think that sustainability is about ticking as many boxes as possible we have 17 sustainable development goals let's try to make sure we tick off 10 rather than seven but mm. i think it's it's focusing on the couple of esg issues that we do really well and which are really important for us and then after that, so that is the end goal, then think about some a strategy in order to get there. And also think about evaluation is that if we want to um, pursue a long-term value creation, we need to increase the horizon of evaluation. So these things should ultimately improve profits but they will not improve profits in the short term. So if I'm on the board of directors, if I'm on the compensation committee, I want to make sure that my chief executive has, say, pay links to the stock price in five years' time or maybe seven years' time or something like that.